0: CHAPTER One of Amie or The History of a Scoundrel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Gieson Amie or the history of a scoundrel by guy de maupassant translator unknown chapter One, poverty after changing his five-franc piece georges duroy left the restaurant he twisted his moustache in military style and cast a rapid sweeping glance upon the diners, among whom were three saleswomen, an untidy music teacher of uncertain age, and two women with their husbands. When he reached the sidewalk, he paused to consider what route he should take. It was the twenty eighth of June and he had only three francs in his pocket to last him the remainder of the month that meant two dinners and no lunches or two lunches and no dinners according to choice as he pondered upon this unpleasant state of affairs he sauntered down rue notre dame de lorette preserving his military air and carriage and rudely jostled the people upon the streets in order to clear a path for himself he appeared to be hostile to the passers-by and even to the houses the entire city tall well-built fair with blue eyes a curled moustache hair naturally wavy and parted in the middle, he recalled the hero of the popular romances. It was one of those sultry Parisian evenings when not a breath of air is stirring. The sewers exhaled poisonous gases, and the restaurants the disagreeable odors of cooking and of kindred smells. Porters in their shirt sleeves, astride their chairs, smoked their pipes at the carriage gates, and pedestrians strolled leisurely along, hats in hand. When Georges Duroy reached the boulevard, he halted again, undecided as to which road to choose. Finally, he turned toward the Madeleine and followed the tide of people the large well-patronized cafes tempted du but were he to drink only two glasses of beer in an evening farewell to the meagre supper the following night yet he said to himself i will take a glass at the American." by jove i am thirsty he glanced at men seated at the tables men who could afford to slake their thirst, and he scowled at them. "'Rascals!' he muttered. "'If he could have caught one of them at a corner in the dark, he would have choked him without a scruple. "'He recalled the two years spent in Africa, and the manner in which he had extorted money from the Arabs.' a smile hovered about his lips at the recollection of an escapade which had cost three men their lives, a foray which had given his two comrades and himself seventy fowls, two sheep, money, and something to laugh about for six months. The culprits were never found. Indeed they were not sought for the arab being looked upon as the soldier's prey but in paris it was different there one could not commit such deeds with impunity he regretted that he had not remained where he was but he had hoped to improve his condition and for that reason he was in paris he passed the vaudeville and stopped at the Café Américain, debating as to whether he should take that glass. Before deciding he glanced at a clock. It was a quarter past nine. He knew that when the beer was placed in front of him he would drink it, and then what would he do at eleven o'clock? So he walked on intending to go as far as the Madeleine and return. When he reached the Place de l'Opera, a tall young man passed him, whose face he fancied was familiar. He followed him, repeating, "'Where the deuce have I seen that fellow?' For a time he racked his brain in vain, then suddenly he saw the same man but not so corpulent and more youthful attired in the uniform of a hussar he exclaimed wait forestier and hastening up to him laid his hand upon the man's shoulder the latter turned looked at him and said what do you want sir duroy began to laugh don't you remember me no not remember georges Duroy of the sixth hussars forestier extended both hands ah my dear fellow how are you very well and how are you oh i am not very well I cough six months out of the twelve as a result of bronchitis contracted at Bougival about the time of my return to Paris four years ago. But you look well. Forestier, taking his former comrade's arm, told him of his malady, of the consultations, the opinions, and the advice of the doctors and of the difficulty of following their advice in his position they ordered him to spend the winter in the south but how could he he was married and was a journalist in a responsible editorial position i manage the political department on la vie francaise i report the doings of the senate for le salut and from time to time I write for La Planète. That is what I am doing. Duroy, in surprise, glanced at him. He was very much changed. Formerly, Forestier had been thin, giddy, noisy, and always in good spirits. But three years of life in Paris had made another man of him. Now he was stout and serious, and his hair was grey on his temples, although he could not number more than twenty-seven years. Forestier asked, Where are you going? Duroy replied, Nowhere in particular. Very well, will you accompany me to the Vie Française, where I have some proofs to correct, and afterwards take a drink with me? yes gladly they walked along arm in arm with that familiarity which exists between schoolmates and brother officers what are you doing in paris asked forestier duroy shrugged his shoulders dying of hunger simply when my time was up i came hither to make my fortune or rather to live in paris and for six months i have been employed in a railroad office at fifteen hundred francs a year forestier murmured "Hmm, that is not very much but what can i do answered duroy i am alone i know no one i have no recommendations The spirit is not lacking, but the means are. His companion looked at him from head to foot, like a practical man who is examining a subject. Then he said, in a tone of conviction, "'You see, my dear fellow, all depends on assurance here. A shrewd, observing man can sometimes become a minister.' you must obtrude yourself and yet not ask anything but how is it you have not found anything better than a clerkship at the station duroy replied i hunted everywhere and found nothing else but i know where i can get three thousand francs at least as riding-master at the Pellerin school Forestier stopped him. "'Don't do it, for you can earn ten thousand francs. You will ruin your prospects at once. In your office at least no one knows you. You could leave it, if you wish, at any time. But when you are once a riding-master, all will be over.' you might as well be a butler in a house to which all Paris comes to dine. When you have given riding lessons to men of the world, or to their sons, they will no longer consider you their equal. He paused, reflected several seconds, and then asked, Are you a bachelor? Yes, though I have been smitten several times that makes no difference if cicero and tiberius were mentioned would you know who they were yes good no one knows any more except about a score of fools it is not difficult to pass for being learned the secret is not to betray your ignorance just manoeuvre Avoid the quicksands and obstacles, and the rest can be found in a dictionary." He spoke like one who understood human nature, and he smiled as the crowd passed them by. Suddenly he began to cough, and stopped to allow the paroxysm to spend itself. Then he said in a discouraged tone, Isn't it tiresome not to be able to get rid of this bronchitis and here is midsummer this winter i shall go to monton health before everything they reached the boulevard poissonnière behind a large glass door an open paper was affixed three people were reading it above the door was printed the legend la vie française forestier pushed open the door and said come in duroy entered they ascended the stairs passed through an antechamber in which two clerks greeted their comrade and then entered a kind of waiting-room sit down said forestier I shall be back in five minutes. And he disappeared. Duroy remained where he was. From time to time men passed him by, entering by one door and going out by another, before he had time to glance at them. Now they were young men, very young, with a busy air, holding sheets of paper in their hands now compositors their shirts spotted with ink carefully carrying what were evidently fresh proofs occasionally a gentleman entered fashionably dressed some reporter bringing news forestier reappeared arm in arm with a tall thin man of thirty or forty dressed in a black coat with a white cravat a dark complexion and an insolent self-satisfied air forestier said to him adieu my dear sir and the other pressed his hand with au revoir my friend then he descended the stairs whistling his cane under his arm duroy asked his name that is jacques rival the celebrated writer and dualist he came to correct his proofs garin montel and he are the best witty and realistic writers we have in paris he earns thirty thousand francs a year for two articles a week as they went downstairs they met a stout little man with long hair, who was ascending the stairs whistling. Forestier bowed low. "Norbert de Varennes," said he, "the poet, the author of Les Soleils morts, a very expensive man. Every poem he gives us costs three hundred francs." and the longest has not two hundred lines but let us go into the napolitain i am getting thirsty when they were seated at a table forestier ordered two glasses of beer he emptied his at a single draught while duroy sipped his beer slowly as if it were something rare and precious suddenly his companion asked why don't you try journalism duroy looked at him in surprise and said because i have never written anything we all have to make a beginning i could employ you myself by sending you to obtain information at first you would only get two hundred and fifty francs a month but your cap fare would be paid shall i speak to the manager if you will well then come and dine with me to-morrow i will only ask five or six to meet you the manager m walter his wife with jacques rival and norbert de Varenne, whom you have just seen and also a friend of Madame forestier will you come duroy hesitated blushing and perplexed finally he murmured i have no suitable clothes forestier was amazed you have no dress suit cat that is indispensable in paris it is better to have no bed than no clothes then fumbling in his vest pocket he drew from it two louis placed them before his companion and said kindly you can repay me when it is convenient buy yourself what you need and pay an instalment on it and come and dine with us at half past seven at seventeen rue fontaine in confusion duroy picked up the money and stammered you are very kind i am much obliged be sure i shall not forget forestier interrupted him that's all right take another glass of beer waiter two more glasses when he had paid the score the journalist asked would you like a stroll for an hour certainly they turned toward the madeleine what shall we do asked forestier they say that in paris an idler can always find amusement but it is not true a turn in the bois is only enjoyable if you have a lady with you and that is a rare occurrence The café-concerts may divert my tailor and his wife, but they do not interest me. So what can we do? Nothing. There ought to be a summer garden here, open at night, where a man could listen to good music while drinking beneath the trees. It would be a pleasant lounging place. You could walk in alleys bright with electric light, and seat yourself where you pleased to hear the music. It would be charming. Where would you like to go? Duroy did not know what to reply. Finally he said, I have never been to the Folies-Bergères. I should like to go there. His companion exclaimed, The Folies-Bergères! very well they turned and walked toward the faubourg montmartre the brilliantly illuminated building loomed up before them forestier entered duroy stopped him we forgot to pass through the gate the other replied in a consequential tone i never pay and approached the box office Have you a good box? Certainly, Monsieur Forestier. He took the ticket, handed him, pushed open the door, and they were within the hall. A cloud of tobacco smoke almost hid the stage and the opposite side of the theatre. In the spacious foyer, which led to the circular promenade, brilliantly dressed women mingled with black-coated men forestier forced his way rapidly through the throng and accosted an usher box seventeen this way sir the friends were shown into a tiny box hung and carpeted in red with four chairs upholstered in the same colour they seated themselves to their right and left were similar boxes on the stage three men were performing on trapezes, but Duroy paid no heed to them, his eyes finding more to interest them in the grand promenade. Forestier remarked upon the motley appearance of the throng, but Duroy did not listen to him. A woman, leaning her arms upon the edge of her loge, was staring at him. She was a tall, voluptuous brunette, her face whitened with enamel, her black eyes pencilled, and her lips painted. With a movement of her head she summoned a friend who was passing, a blonde with auburn hair, likewise inclined to en bon point, and said to her in a whisper intended to be heard, There is a nice fellow. Forestier heard it and said to Duroy with a smile, You are lucky, my dear boy. My congratulations. The ci-devant soldier blushed and mechanically fingered the two pieces of gold in his pocket. The curtain fell, the orchestra played a valse, and Duroy said, Shall we walk around the gallery? If you like. Soon they were carried along in the current of promenaders. Duroy drank in with delight the air, vitiated as it was by tobacco and cheap perfume. But Forestier perspired, panted, and coughed. "'Let us go into the garden,' he said. Turning to the left, they entered a kind of covered garden, in which two large fountains were playing. Under the yews, men and women sat at tables, drinking. "'Another glass of beer?' asked Forestier gladly they took their seats and watched the promenaders occasionally a woman would stop and ask with a coarse smile what have you to offer sir forestier's invariable answer was a glass of water from the fountain and the woman would mutter go along and walk away At last the brunette reappeared, arm-in-arm with the blonde. They made a handsome couple. The former smiled on perceiving Duroy, and taking a chair, she calmly seated herself in front of him, and said in a clear voice, "'Waiter, two glasses!' In astonishment Forestier exclaimed, you are not at all bashful. She replied, Your friend has bewitched me. He is such a fine fellow. I believe he has turned my head. Duroy said nothing. The waiter brought the beer, which the women swallowed rapidly. Then they rose, and the brunette, nodding her head and tapping duroy's arm with her fan said to him thank you my dear however you are not very talkative as they disappeared forestier laughed and said tell me old man did you know that you had a charm for the weaker sex you must be careful without replying duroy smiled his friend asked, Shall you remain any longer? I am going, I have had enough. Georges murmured, Yes, I will stay a little longer. It is not late. Forestier arose. Very well, then. Good-bye until to-morrow. Do not forget. Seventeen, Rue Fontaine, at 7.30. I shall not forget, thank you." The two friends shook hands, and the journalist left Duroy to his own devices. Forestier once out of sight, Duroy felt free, and again he joyously touched the gold pieces in his pocket. Then rising, he mingled with the crowd. He soon discovered the Blonde and the Brunette. He went towards them, but when near them, dared not address them. The Brunette called out to him, "'Have you found your tongue?' He stammered, "'Soons!' Too bashful to say another word. A pause ensued, during which the Brunette took his arm. And together they left the hall. End of section one. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazlemere, Surrey.